Hi there, I'm Mark Icero, and welcome again to the Highlighter Article Club, an experiment in community reading where we read, annotate, and discuss one great article every month on race, education, or culture. This month we've been reading I Went to Disney World by Graham Wood, and this week I got the opportunity to interview Mr. Wood about his piece. And before I say anything else, I just want to thank Mr. Wood for his generosity. He is a staff writer at The Atlantic and the author of The Way of the Strangers, Encounters with the Islamic State. And even though he writes about foreign affairs and extremely serious topics like genocide and war, he also makes space to write about a wide range of topics including the weird, which is how he bought himself a plane ticket in the middle of the pandemic this summer to fly down to Florida and to enter the Magic Kingdom for the very first time. I hope you like this conversation. Mr. Wood, thank you so much for being on Article Club. Oh, it's a pleasure. We are excited about I Went to Disney World, your piece in The Atlantic, but I wanted to start by asking, like, it's pretty safe to say that Disney World is not your regular beat. Is that true? That's true. I'm probably best known for doing foreign reporting, first of all, reporting that requires me to use my passport. But, you know, I've reported on a lot of weird stuff in the past, including, you know, pro wrestling in the United States and hurricanes. And so I like to think that my beat is anything that is interesting to me and also interesting to a lot of other people, including an editor who I can get to assign me a piece. So maybe not that far out of my normal wheelhouse. Yeah, well, this certainly was interesting to us. We've been reading a lot of fairly serious articles, and this one was just hilarious, even though it's, of course, it's serious as well. But how did it come to you, this article? Was this your idea or your editors, or how did it, how did it originate? Well, I, I noticed, as so many people have, that we've all been kind of living within our own minds during the pandemic. You know, we, we've been staying at home. We have been going different degrees of, of crazy. And so I wanted to, at some point reckon with the fact that there are other people who are doing different things, have different sets of preferences, are willing to do different things. And the first chance I had to, to meet people who were like that, who weren't, who didn't have the same urge to stay home and you know, crush the curve and so forth, uh, as I had, I, wa- I wanted to go see them and meet them as, as soon as possible. So when Disney World opened up, uh, it, it seemed like a pretty good opportunity to do that. And you hadn't been there. I mean, in the piece, you talk about what your mom thought of Disney World. And we assume that you had some thoughts about Disney World as well. So how did it feel right from the beginning to say, hey, this is the first time that I'm going to go? It felt good. You know, I, I felt like I had successfully spent you know, four decades of my life without going to Disney World. That was an accomplishment to me. And I, you know, a lot of my friends have kids who they've taken to Disney World and they always come back with this kind of thousand yard stare of, of horror of what they've experienced there. Um, it's horror mixed with delight. Many of them go back, so it can't have been that bad. But they do remember trying to take care of their kids in this festival of ways that their kids can beg them for things, uh, make them wait in line for hours and hours in horrible heat. It, it is not an entirely pleasant experience as it's been relayed to me by you know fellow 30 plus year olds, 40 year olds. Uh, and so the idea of doing it now, uh, I was willing to do it because it was so different from the negative experience that I've known other people to have and that I would expect that I would have in in normal times. When did it hit you? Did it hit you first in the airport about what you had gotten yourself into? 
I knew what I had got myself into. I, I, I mean, I, I knew that Disney World would not be a normal place for me to be in, that everybody has a, a certain degree of agoraphobia if they've not been going out for as long as I had not been going out. Um, and yeah, as soon as I got to Orlando, Florida, and I found in the airport that there were a lot of people who just weren't compliant with what seemed to be the sensible uh, mask wearing suggestions and so forth. I figured that, yeah, my, my life uh, or my experience was going to be very different in the next four or five days from what it had been for the previous five or so months. Yeah, you have that scene in the airport with the masks. And right from the beginning, you comment about Florida, almost like it's a joke, which comes through throughout the piece, even at the end. It's like Florida, Florida. And it's like this sort of inside joke that we all know about. But what did you what were you trying to get at there? Uh, first of all, I love Florida. Uh, you know, some people read this piece and think I'm trying to run down Florida. I am from Texas, which is another place where people have very strong sense of their individual liberties and a, to me, a very appealing desire to, to be their own person. And that includes going off into the wilderness and doing whatever the heck they, they want to do. Florida is the swamp version of, of Texas. It's also, I think I say in the piece, the American version of Yemen in, in that you can go there and there's, there's lots of space for idiosyncrasy, weird um, behavior, including some antisocial behavior. And when I got to Florida, it did feel very different from the New England that I had, I had come from that, that day when I got on the plane. Uh, yeah, there were people who, as I say, weren't wearing masks. Um, but th there's also just a general, there's a general vibe in the state of Florida of this is a place of, of great chaos, productive chaos, beautiful chaos sometimes, but also terrifying chaos if you happen to be, you know, uh, happen to have a gun pulled on you or meet an alligator when you're not expecting it. So my experience in, in, in Disney World was, you know, I, I have to say it was, it was actually different from almost every other, different from every other Florida trip that I've taken. It was striking how different it was from the rest of, the, of, of Florida because of the, the orderliness compared to the chaos nearly everywhere else. Yeah, that was part of the piece that we really wanted to ask you about, Article Clubbers. Um, you have the Florida part, but then you get into the park. And it was so interesting. You know, we really could tell that you hadn't been to Disney World. You you shared with us uh, Main Street USA. You also shared with us some of the sub parks. It was like you were taking the reader through sort of Disney World again, it, even though probably a lot of the readers have already been there. Why did you do that? Well, first of all, I wanted to be clear about what the experience was for me. I mean, this is a first-person article. It's it's a it's a travel piece, and I need people to know what it is like to be me going through it. Uh, you know, there are people who love Disney World, and uh, believe me, I've heard from a lot of them after writing this piece, and they have been so deep into the world of Disney, um, even if they've never been to Disney World, that they don't have a really good sense of what it's like to be someone who isn't part of this Disney sect and who's arriving there for the first time. So I wanted to give that experience. I also wanted to give the experience of going through a place like Main Street USA, which anybody who's gone to the Magic Kingdom has seen before in this weird circumstance where I'm going through it, which it is um, by all accounts, very different from what they've experienced. So yeah, it, it should be for everybody who reads this an unfamiliar account. Uh, either just of Disney World from the perspective of someone who's going there for the, there for the first time 
or if you know Disney World very well, of a Disney World that is unlike anything that you've experienced either. You said earlier that it's like a sect. And in the piece, you talk about Disney as a religion. Can you say more about that? Yeah, you know, I have I've written a fair bit about religion, usually in the context of Islam and and ISIS. And you know, with with Disney, there's a lot different between Disney and and ISIS to say the least. But there is this similarity that when people think of Disney and they're and they're they're like me, they think of a movie that they like uh, or that they liked when they were kids but haven't thought about a lot since. And that I think is the most common experience of what Disney is. It's a big entertainment company that puts out good products and bad ones. And what I found when I was at Disney World and seeing people who you know, were willing to go to Disney World in the middle of the pandemic, so there were extreme Disney-files, was that there were a lot of people who, for whom Disney was just a very different thing. And it was something much, much deeper than an entertainment corporation, mainly for children. It was the kind of thing that had had created their sense of the universe. You know, that's to me one's one idea of what religion is is this vast structure of human activity and thought that makes us understand what good and evil are, what happens you know before we're on planet Earth, what happens after we're on planet Earth. These really big questions. And if you're an extreme Disneyphile maybe that's where you get the answers to these questions. Maybe this is where the, you find out what, uh, you know, how do people fall in love? Uh, what is it like to die? These questions are actually answered in a lot of Disney movies. And if your sensibilities are formed by Disney, then maybe going to the Magic Kingdom is, is very different from what it is for me to go to the Magic Kingdom. And again, my experience not being like that uh, is something I, I, I had to show because other people needed to understand that even though I'm, uh, even though I'm not of Disney, um, they need to understand what it is like for, for me to see that. But then also to acknowledge that Disney, uh, you know, I'm not just, I'm not saying that di- people who love Disney are fools. What I'm saying is that it means something deep and emotional to them that it doesn't mean to me. And I'm trying to describe what that is. Yeah, did you get a sense? I mean, this was the pandemic and everything had been closed. And so as far as Disney files, like this is like a trek you you must have encountered, even though this was mostly a first person piece from your point of view, you must have encountered some folks. I know that you had a couple people in the piece. Did you have a sense from them that, hey, they were coming home or like they were coming to a place that gave them meaning? Yes, I, I had a sense from a lot of them. And by the way, mostly not through conversation because I couldn't get close to them enough to to talk and could say more about that, that they were experiencing Disney as, uh, again, much more than just a family vacation that had been postponed and finally was happening. I'd find people who had made their own t-shirts with um, Mickey Mouse wearing surgical masks and, you know, the t-shirts would say straight out of quarantine 2020. They had taken huge, huge efforts uh, to be able to experience Disney in this, this first week of its opening. So that was, a, that was a big thing. Now, on the masks, remember, Disney's, among other things, a very loud place. Uh, this is how it always is. There's music playing all the time. It's part of the fun. It's also very difficult to communicate with people if you are six feet away from them and there's a piece of, piece of fabric in front of your face and there's loud music playing. So um, usually what I would do is I, I would... Uh, in writing a story like this, I, w- I would try to talk to people. Um, and 
that I could do only in certain circumstances. You were allowed to have your mask off if you are eating and drinking. Um, and so I would, I, I spent a lot of time at uh, bars, restaurants, while people were, you know, scarfing down uh, treats and, and, you know, I also scarfing down treats, much to my pleasure and, uh, and beers at the bars and talking to people then. But most of the time it was, it was a, a palpable um, sense of happiness that they had that I could see even from six feet away through a, a layer of fabric. Yeah, you do talk about the the smile that you can almost tell uh, behind the mask. And we definitely wanted to ask you more about the mask because you do juxtapose sort of like the mask wearing in Disneyland versus outside where they're not. And it seems to be just a pretty fantastical and amazing thing that all of a sudden everybody is just um, obeying where maybe they haven't obeyed outside. How do you explain that? Uh, I, I think... In a single word, it's trust. Uh, people had come to Disney because, again, they invest deep meaning to Disney and they, they see a lot of things that are important to them there. They also think that Disney um, is a kind of honest broker for them. Uh, that is, they think, what does Disney want from them? Um, it wants their money. Uh, it also wants to give them these, these wonderful uh, movies and rides and so forth. But because they trust Disney to be Disney, they're willing to do a lot of things that Disney says uh, they must do. And the most obvious thing there is, is masks. You know, you go into Disney, Disney World, and if you take off your mask and you are not in one of those activities where you are allowed to have your, your mask off, I think it's seconds, not minutes, before someone will come up to you and say, can you please put your mask on? And that's an incredible thing. If, if you're in any other part of the United States, uh, even the more mask compliant areas, uh, that's not going to be what it's like. It's just, it's, it's not a very American thing to, to, to um, believe that you can go up to a stranger and tell that person how to, you know, how to dress. Whereas in Disney, um, people were absolutely willing to, to wear masks. And, you know, some of those people maybe were extremely mask compliant when they weren't at Disney. But just as a matter of statistics, I, I think that's, that's likely not to be the case. There are probably people who were mask skeptics, uh, people who uh, in normal life wouldn't wear a mask. But let me tell you, every single person there was wearing a mask and nobody seemed really upset about having to do it because they trusted Disney and were willing to do what Disney said. It's truly, truly amazing. Even out here in California, you know, it would not be a few seconds until somebody asked you. And just even the idea of confrontation, you're right. Like it wouldn't happen outside of Disney. And I like how you say that it's about trust. A central idea of your piece that we were really intrigued about um, was that Disney has sort of earned more trust than perhaps our own government, or uh, as you say, I think in your piece that Disney might be governing better than our our government. Is that too much? Like, did I say too much there? Or would you agree with that? I think you're exactly right. I mean, you know, you think about countries that have managed the pandemic very well, uh, and they tend to be places that are, first of all, small, easy to govern, uh, but also have a, a sense that, you know, the government has a a right to be very firm with you about, about how your behavior is going. So the most obvious government like this is, is Singapore. Um, and sure enough, there's a, there's a very famous cover story in Wired magazine in the early 1990s uh, describing Singapore as 
uh, Disney World with the death penalty, which the comparison I think is an apt one. You know, you've got these small uh, or not even that small city states where all sorts of aspects of your life are managed. Uh, you're on camera all the time. Uh, you're having to follow rules that you don't get a say in. You just show up and then you have to follow those rules. And uh, that management yields some real benefits. I, I happen to be a, a small D Democrat myself. I, I think that, that people should vote on their leadership and have a chance to say whatever they, they, they please. But I have to admit, Singapore is a really nice place to be. And Disney World is a really nice place to be relative to the you know, public health uncertainty and just general difficulty of being in the United States at this moment in, in history. I think that, that the ability to, for a place to say, all right, we've got rules. And from your perspective, they might be arbitrary and they might be intrusive too. But you trust us. You trust us to, to manage these, manage your existence, and it'll be worth it for you. And people seem to have agreed with that uh, in a way that they never would with, or never had, they don't, I should say, with the US government. I mean, the, the level of trust in the US government, I don't have to, to tell you, is, is extremely low. Um, and the level of, of trust in Disney World for patrons there. It's extremely high. That, that tells you a lot about what you need to know about what's going on in this country. Yeah, and obviously the United States cannot really become Singapore. But one thing that is clear from your piece toward the end is just the degree to which Americans um, have turned to private institutions like Disney. And that seems to be sort of like maybe the scariest thing for for me and some other folks, you know, especially if we do want to believe in democracy. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I do a lot of foreign reporting. I, I see a lot of variety in how people interact with, um, with governments. Uh, and it's true that if you, in certain circumstances, if you take away a trustworthy well-functioning public institutions, then they are simply replaced by private ones that are available only to wealthy people. Uh, and there's so many cases of this in many, many parts of Latin America, parts of Africa. You just can't trust the police um, to, to be there for you. Uh, and what do you have instead? You have private security guards that are hired by the wealthy to sit in a little little um, little hut in the front of your property and have a gun. And you, know, you can kind of have the experience of a functioning public health system uh, if you want for a, a huge amount of money uh, from my perspective, if you just wanna to go to Disney World for a, a few days. If there is something that can be done to slow down the spread of, of the coronavirus, they'll probably do it. They'll probably wipe down those doorknobs. They'll probably make sure that they will definitely make sure that, that, that people will have their masks on. And that is nothing other than public health authorities turned into private ones for money. So I, I don't like that as, as someone who, who likes uh, a functioning state and wants it to be available to everyone, no matter how rich or poor they are. That's not a trend that I would like to see more of. Yeah, for, for as funny of a piece this is, it sort of just caught me and caught us in the middle toward the end about how serious the message was. So thank you for that. And I think that I had a couple more questions about how you pulled that off. 
uh, first on sort of like the reporting and the organization of your piece. It it sort of reads, you know, chronologically, you go to Disney World. Obviously, there's a whole lot of reporting underneath it. How did you make the decisions about what to include versus not in this piece? My answer to your questions about this are probably not, they're probably not going to be that interesting. Um, I wrote it, uh, I wrote this piece very, very quickly. You know, I, I went to Disney World for four days or so. I got on a plane. I got to Connecticut where I had to quarantine myself because of, of state regulations. I sat down in quarantine and seven hours later, I had what was basically the, the piece written. That's amazing. Uh, and I wrote it from start to finish. So um, obviously one goes back, one edits. Uh, I, I don't have a strong sense though of um, how I... Uh, how I structured it to, you seem to have a better sense of the piece of structure than I have at this point. Well, one thing loud and clear, I mean, we just met, so I, I don't know about your sense of humor or anything, but it, this piece is just so funny and so well-written. And, and I know that you've written on some other sort of wild things in the past, but do you feel like you like to do this kind of writing in addition to some of your more serious pieces, just because like, there's just some laugh out loud parts to this. Well, first of all, thank you very much. That's very nice of you to say that, that the writing is good and that there are some laugh out loud parts because I'll let you in on a secret here. So I mentioned before I write about ISIS, um, I've written about other um, very, very bad things, genocide, for example. Um, and uh, I really believe that you cannot write about things that are serious without a sense of humor as well. Um, and not just because it's psychologically necessary. That is, it, it's not just because you need to um, to have a little happiness in your life to get by. No, I, I think because if you have uh, nothing but solemnity in a piece, then no one believes in the solemnity. The solemnity actually doesn't come through. It, it, it seems instead to be uh, unreal. What you need is some... Um, relief almost in the geographic sense you know of high and low the, the deeper the the dark portions th that depth is revealed by the the happiness in the higher portions and you have to be honest about when the that that humor or that irony exists otherwise people will not understand uh how bad the darkness can be um you, you have to have both it, it, you if you don't have one then the other one will not actually um, land uh, in the correct way. And also, you're, you're also not going to be honest. I mean, I've been in war zones uh, where I've read pieces by other writers and they have been unrelenting in describing uh, how bad things are. And I happen to know that, that war is a horrible thing, but there are moments in war that are funny. Uh, there are moments in war that, that are uh, relief from this this unrelenting misery and you have to mention those if something weird happens and you don't say that it happens then you're 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 not being honest and readers can detect that my my, my guidance here is I, I want my readers to experience what it is like for me uh and what it was like for me to be in, in disney world it was both um unpleasant and and funny. Uh, the irony was, was, um, was constant. And if a piece that I wrote didn't convey that, uh, then I don't think that uh, I would have been doing anyone any favors. Uh, it wouldn't have been as much fun to read. And I don't think people would have understood what it was like. And they certainly wouldn't have understood uh, the whole 
range of emotions that I felt and that I think they should feel in, in properly understanding uh, what that experience is like. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us and um, for sharing a little bit more about your piece. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. I want to thank Mr. Wood yet again for participating in Article Club. It's funny because this is the ninth time we at Article Club have had an author join us, and for some reason, it still seems new and amazing to me. It also goes to show you how generous authors are and how reading really has the opportunity to connect us no matter who or where we are. So with that, I'm going to say one last thing, which is if this interview intrigued you, and you want to join our discussion next Sunday, September 27th on this article, there is still time to join. All you need to do is go to highlighter.cc discussion and sign up. All right, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week.